Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. We do hope you enjoyed our previous episode on the mysterious, not-so-mysterious story of the Mary Celeste. Why do we hope you enjoyed it? Because this story is also about the ocean and ships and unfortunate things occurring uh, related to those two. Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Noel. Yeah, we're continuing a bit of a nautical uh, theme mm-hmm. here. We're doing themed episodes in, in 2020. We're That's really, a promise. Yeah, we're getting it together. That's we're, definitely going to happen. We're going to get uh, to the rest of those states that we never covered. Right. We might do that Nixon episode, uh, is, assuming super producer Casey Pegram lets us. It's a little tough sell. Can I do a little disclaimer here at the top of the show? Not a disclaimer. Yeah, disclaim. Well, I don't know, whatever. Excla- ex- exclamation, perhaps. Um, exclaim. I uh, don't know the order of the 12 days of Christmas. This Does this bother you? It bothers Why? me, Ben, because um, uh, my name is Noel, uh, often mispronounced as Noel. It is a Christmassy name. I should be a Christmas expert. Uh, and on that episode, I'm going to blame the Nog. The very strong nog. Uh, I I kind of sounded like a, a blithering idiot when it comes to the uh, chronology of the twelve days of Christmas. Um, am I really bothered by it? Did I lose sleep over the holidays? Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Well, I thought I did think it was weird because you you said I'm going to quiz myself. And this will be fun. And I didn't know what Casey and I were supposed to do, but right. we did try to help you. It was you, just weird because it was guys, like a, it was like a, a little bit of I think you doing your own thing. Well, it was a little bit of me trying to flex my Christmas chops, uh-huh. which apparently are non-existent. I was impressed that you just remembered what the gifts were. Oh, I mean, thanks. The man. order doesn't really, uh, whatever. No, like, 
the, the, the thing that I got so fundamentally wrong is I claimed that they do not go in chronological order. Ah. Uh, and that is just absolutely false. They, there's, you know, the first day is one thing. The second day you get two things. Third day you get three things. Oh, so there's not like five on the third day or something like that. No, on oh, okay. the fifth day you get five golden rings. Okay, okay. Well, that that would probably bother me if I made that mistake. I, I, I made the uh, this claim that they were not chronological, that they, they were willy-nilly. Uh, and that's just not the case. So now I've got it off my chest. I feel so much better. So thank you guys for indulging me in that. I like that we're doing things out of order again because this comes out second, but we're talking about the episode that came before. Yeah, but that's okay. That's it, our tradition. It's it, it's a new tradition. It is. Casey on the case. Well, well, I'm glad you feel better, Noel. Uh, hopefully it'll also make you feel better to know that I think you're you're the only one who was upset about that. I think everybody was fine. It was endearing. Reports of my uh, upsetness have been much exaggerated by myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I suspected as much. Uh, have you guys ever been in a in a accident of any sort, like a vehicular accident? I mean, not like a accidental switcheroo of a of a of a name or something like that, but like uh, a car accident. That would be the most common for people in the U.S., right? Or a bicycle accident. Do you have any stories about that? Yeah, I've, I once uh, had a bird scooter accident. I jacked my wrist up pretty bad for mm. quite a few months. I've been in a couple fender benders in cars, but that's about it. The bird scooter was the most traumatic by far, though. The bird scooters are also leaving the city. Thank God. Yeah, they are. What about the lift scooters? Uh, I think all of the scooters of that variety. You're kidding. That's the rumor. What a coup. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it, how it works out. Uh Probably because of some of the things you've mentioned, you know, and I know you're a careful scooterist. I try to be. Casey, what about you? Do you have any accidents? Nothing too serious. Um, just a few times, like minor fender benders kind of getting like tapped in the bumper at a stoplight or something, but thankfully nothing too uh, too drastic. Well, guys, now I feel a little bit awkward because I have been in tons of accidents and tons of near misses. Uh, I was almost in a plane crash, by which I mean I was in a plane that almost crashed. I was in a school bus that almost went careening off a cliff and did actually get some air uh, on the front right tire. Uh, I have been in numerous car accidents, uh, numerous bike accidents. I have not yet been in a, uh, a boating or maritime accident. And, and I, I think when we're talking off air, uh, neither, none of us have been, right? Uh, Casey had my favorite line that way. Yeah, I was asking myself, have I been on a ship? Have I been on a boat? Because I really wasn't sure. I know I've been on some ferries, and uh, I've been on some, like, small boats, like, you know, Lake Lanier scale kind of stuff, just, like, four or five people kind of thing. But I don't think I've ever been on, like, a big ship, like a cruise ship kind of thing. But I did have to kind of ask myself that. I didn't really know offhand. Wait, have you ever taken, like, a tour of a battleship that was moored, like, that was docked? Yeah, I've done that. I have done that. But I feel like that doesn't count because it's anchored and it's stationary and you're not out on the open water. I can absolutely say that is the only scenario where I've set foot on a large-scale ship. I think I've walked around a submarine even in that same capacity. You're a real man of mystery. <laughs> it's because uh, when I was a kid, like that that was the kind of stuff my dad would always want to do when we were on vacation. Uh-huh. It's like go see the boat or whatever. And, uh, you know, it didn't interest me that much. But, yeah, I, I feel like vaguely that I've, I've done some of that stuff. Bit of a history buff, huh? Yeah. Well, he's in the Navy, so there you go. That makes sense. That, that, that makes sense. I've had, I've had similar experiences. I've been on large boats that haven't wrecked while I was on them. 
But even if you have been in a, in a wreck or an unfortunate incident on the high seas, uh, you probably haven't had the experience of today's protagonist, Violet Jessup, who has, <laughs> as uh, Gabe likes to call her, a research associate Gabe likes to call her the unsinkable stewardess. Consider this, like if the if the four of us or five of us, you know, the three of us recording, you listening, if we were all on a boat together, let's say through some weird series of circumstances, you ended up on a themed ridiculous history cruise, which I have a, I have a tough time saying that with a straight face. But what if we were on this ridiculous history cruise and the cruise ship crashed and not everybody got out, but you survived? Wouldn't you consider yourself very lucky? Absolutely. Wouldn't you also never go on a boat again? I, I don't think I would, no. <laughs> and, and, and maybe there's a reason that I am not uh, a, a cruise-type person because it seems kind of like – being part of a weird herd that just goes to like, you know, like being like in prison, like on, a, on the sea where you have to go eat at a certain time, go play shuffleboard at a certain time. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, if I'm mischaracterizing uh, what is, is is perhaps a very uh, enjoyable experience. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Titanic was meant to be a pleasure cruise. That was the idea. It was very, very high class. Only the best of the best high society folks were able to get a ticket. And Violet Jessup was was one of the attendants on that voyage, that doomed voyage. Right. Violet Constance Jessup enjoyed incredible luck. She had she had a really stressful existence. She actually survived not one, but uh, three different shipwrecks. She was born in 1887 in Argentina. Her parents were Irish immigrants. And as a child, she unfortunately contracted tuberculosis and was officially diagnosed with just a few months to live. However, obviously, she survived. However, six of her eight siblings died young, and her father also died when she was relatively young, and the family returned to Britain. Uh, her mother became a stewardess for the Royal Mail Line while Violet attended school at a convent, and then her mother's health declined. So Violet gave up school to become a stewardess herself. Yeah, she followed in her mother's footsteps, um, joining the Royal Mail line, and then with White Star, the parent company of uh, the Titanic. But it wasn't easy. Um, she was 21. She didn't really have much experience, any experience at all. Um, and most of the folks that were in this industry were seasoned veterans in their, you know, 30s to early 40s. Um, and she was very green and was trying to get into this industry following in her mother's footsteps. And she was rejected quite a bit. Yeah. Get a, get a little of the sexism here. People who might be her future employers said that her youth and good looks would be disadvantageous. And they were worried this would cause problems with the crew and the passengers. And it is true that over the course of her career, Jessup got at least three marriage proposals that we know of while she was working on one ship or another. Uh, and one was from a very well-heeled gentleman. So Violet takes this quote-unquote problem into her own hands she decides to make herself look frumpy. And in this, this description reminds me of, uh, you know, all those rom-com movies where someone is uh, supposed to be mousy and they're a librarian for like the first 
two-thirds of the movie, but they're clearly uh, a movie star-level attractive person. They just wear diff- – they wear like a cardigan and glasses or something. Well, we were talking about like the reverse of that though because the trope is like the very – the secretly attractive person um, just doesn't understand her inner beauty. And then, you know, when she takes off the glasses and lets down the nerdy hair bun or whatever, right, right, right. all of a sudden, you know, the hot football guy sees her for who she truly is. Which oh, is my a, God. Uh, Jennifer. Yeah, you, Jennifer, you're beautiful. Exactly. What she's doing here is almost a Mulan-style situation where she's trying to pass for unattractive and old, um, which is really interesting that she would have had to do that, uh, especially knowing what we know about the other side of the sexism that would ultimately become like, you know, we we're talking about Pan Am and, uh, sure. you know, the uh, age of the swinging, you know, sky lounges and mm-hmm. attractive uh, stewardesses in, in miniskirts. Stewardesses, by the way, not an okay term to use Flight anymore. attendant. Flight attendant, if you please. That's or, right. or steward, uh, the head steward, I believe. I think that's probably yeah. fine. I think stewardess recalls these sexist days. Uh, I was listening to an interview on NPR with someone who's the head of that particular union, and the interviewer asked if that term was okay to use, and she very much was like, no, because it harkens back to these these times and then the future times where, you know, that kind of uh, – attractive dress was encouraged if not required mandatory mm-hmm. it was mandatory and they also couldn't be married and they also had to be below a certain age yeah it got real nasty i i would say though i'm what i'm arguing here is that the same way that rom-com tropes like dressing differently uh, don't fool the audience this also clearly did not fool the real-life passengers with whom she interacted, hence the marriage proposals. But it did fool the people she interviewed with uh, because she said, I'm not going to wear makeup. I'm going to try to wear old, out-of-style, ill-fitting clothing. And it works. She gets hired. Uh, she has a brief stint on a Royal Mail Line steamer, the Orinoco. And in 1908, she's hired by the White Star Line. She originally did not want to work for White Star because she didn't like the idea of the North Atlantic run. She had a problem with the weather and she had heard stories about the passengers. They were notorious for being real pills. Uh, but she decided to do it anyway. She worked 17 hours a day. She was paid $2.10 shillings per month. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? 
Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So after, um, you know, some some struggles in, in finding a situation that she liked, she um, ultimately found herself on the RMS Olympic, which was at the time the largest civilian, let's call it passenger liner. Um, she's 23 at the time, and that is also when uh, she would have her very first shipwreck situation. Right. In 1911, the Olympic collided with the HMS Hawk. And the Hawk was not a passenger liner. It was a ship that was designed to sink other ships by ramming them. Both of the ships had pretty substantial damage. The Olympic had its hull breached below the waterline, but through some miracle, it did not actually sink and was able to make it back to port. Violet survived the shipwreck. She wasn't even injured. Both ships were later repaired, put back into service. So no harm, no foul. A frightening event for for sure, but not a fatal one. And as, as we know, um, the, there weren't deaths involved there. There was no fatality crash. But still, for many people, that would be more than enough to put you off of put you off of boats, make you a land lubber for life. This was not the case with Violet. A few years later, the White Star Line was looking for a crew to, uh, to serve the very important people aboard their premier ship, the jewel in their crown, a ship that they, along with all the media, by the way, called unsinkable. And that ship was the Titanic. Violet didn't really want to join the Titanic, but her friends were talking to her and they were like, you know, Violet, this is going to be a wonderful experience. It's a one-of-a-kind ship. It's unsinkable. Bo, 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 bo. Her friends spoke with echoes and the really dramatic parts. 
Uh, so she said, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to join up. It was a big deal. It was an event. You know, it was sort of like the Boeing Dreamliner or something of the time. You know, a lot of uh, fuss being made out of this technological marvel. Everyone who was anyone was going to be on the maiden voyage. It was absolutely a cultural event. And her friends were probably like, you got to be a part of this. It's a big deal. You're going to see so many famous people. It's going to be part of history. You do not want to pass this up. So she didn't really care. I I don't think it didn't seem like from her history uh, to be super drawn to any of this glitz and glamour. She just wanted to work. Right. Yeah. And we have uh, we have a little bit of firsthand reporting from her via her memoirs. And we know that she was initially happy. Uh, and I would say in no small part, she was surprised by the nature of her life on the ship. She loved that the designer, Thomas Andrews, appeared to have paid attention to the crew's request for better quarters. She said, often during our rounds, we came upon our beloved designer going about unobtrusively with a tired face but satisfied air. He never failed to stop for a cheerful word, his only regret being that we were getting further from home. We all knew the love that he had for that Irish home of his and suspected that he longed to get back to the peace of its atmosphere for a much-needed rest and to forget ship designing for a while. And she also, you know, we learn about her day-to-day on the uh, on the Titanic. Um, she claims to be friends with notable characters who were on the boat at the same time. We even know some stuff about her roommate. Uh, we know that she found solace in walking around on deck at night, taking a little, I guess, nightcap walk to get some of that fresh air. And then we know something a little bit, I would say, ominous. Her roommate brought along a copy of a translated Hebrew prayer that she said an elderly Irish woman had given her, and it was strangely worded. Uh, As near as she and her roommate, Elizabeth Leather, could tell, it was supposed to protect her against fire and water. We should mention at this point, Violet was a devout Catholic. She carried a rosary in her apron. She, you know, she was a person given to praying as as she deemed it necessary. Which brings us to the night of that fateful collision, April 14th of 1912, when Violet was kind of dozing off in her bunk. She claims to have not been fully asleep, but kind of just in a drowsy state um, when that collision with an iceberg took place. Yeah, yeah. She is ordered up on deck. She says passengers are strolling out calmly. She and her co-workers watch uh, watch the women and children being put into lifeboats. And then a ship's officer orders them into a boat um, first just to show some female passengers it's safe. And then as the boat is being lowered, she recalls this officer in question says, here, Miss Jessup, look after this baby and just hands him a baby. I don't want to be, that's a that's a very intense situation to be in. Yeah, and the quote from her actually describes it even more intense. It says, and a bundle was dropped onto my lap. That implies, I guess, the boat was being lowered down and somebody just dropped a baby off the edge of the ship into the lifeboat, which would have been a little ways beneath. I mean, good thing you caught it, Violet. Good catch. Uh, so they survive. Uh, they're only in the boat for about eight 
horrifying hours before they and other survivors are picked up by the Carpathia. Uh, and her life was saved entirely because that officer asked her to get in a lifeboat because there were other passengers who didn't speak English and couldn't communicate very well. And seeing her get in the lifeboat would persuade the other people to, to follow her example. So when they were rescued by the Carpathia, the person that Jessup thought might be the baby's mother found Violet Jessup and took the baby away, literally grabbed it out of her arms and ran off. She says, I was still clutching the baby against my hard cork life belt I was wearing when a woman leaped at me and grabbed the baby and rushed off with it. It appeared that she put it down on the deck of the Titanic while she went off to fetch something. When she came back, the baby had gone. I was too frozen and numb to think it strange that this woman had not stopped to say thank you. (laughs) And we also don't know if that was really the baby's mother. That's right. Or if it was just uh, uh, somebody who had put a child down earlier. And just grabbed a baby because they thought it was theirs. Totally. I mean, this would have been like absolute, uh, you know, mayhem. Distressing. Um, so, right. She definitely survived her second pretty catastrophic um, ship collision. Yeah. So, again, you would think most other people, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I feel comfortable saying this. Most other people after big shipwreck number two would probably say, I don't know, maybe I'll... Maybe I'll get into, uh, you know, like gardening or uh, maybe I will become an interior designer. One would think um, there's a Gizmodo article about Jessup that has a pretty interesting, almost when you read it, makes it seem a little flippant, where she says it was only after a little while passed after the wreck that she realized she had left her toothbrush on board and that she was she was a little upset about that. That's a that's an odd thing to worry about. I mean, that's how shock happens, though. If you if you have ever been in catastrophic situations or seen people in shock, it's it's easy to find one specific thing and worry about just that. And it doesn't have to even be a, a traumatic, physically dangerous situation. You can see people freak out at social events like uh, weddings, you know, or or, or funerals. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing about psychology. And although many people lost their lives and Violet Jessup tragically lost her toothbrush, she found another. And she said, you know what? Maybe the sea got me last time, but I didn't sink and I'm not going to let my career sink either. So as we're in the lead up to World War I, she says, I'm going to serve as a nurse on board the Britannic, which was a sister ship of the Titanic operating the Aegean Sea. And the Britannic was a White Star liner that had been converted to a hospital ship during World War I. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's so interesting that she would not only continue working on ships, but work with the same company. Uh, maybe it was like not fully realized right away what an absolute catastrophic failing the sinking of the Titanic was. You know, that it was, I don't know, what, what was the uh, postmortem for the Titanic? Wasn't there a flaw in the design? Because they had this whole, like, these compartments that kept filling up with water. Wasn't there something more to it than, I mean, like, it was, you There's also a lot of human error. Human error, that's right. I think it was more human error than it was. I think the design was a pretty decent one, but it just failed miserably because of the extent to which the ship was just, like, breached, right? The hull was breached by that uh, very pointy iceberg. Um, so, yeah, she not only did she stay working for the same company, she goes aboard the sister ship of the ship that just sank in a absurdly traumatic fashion. Um, but she seems like a really good person because she's uh, very much just wants to help. Like she decides she's going to become a nurse and put any of these uh, these fears aside so that she can, you know, 
get back to work and help people. Uh, and that's when, in 1916, the Britannic hit a mine that had been planted by one of those infamous German U-boats um, that were so tricky with their kind of uh, covert operations out there in the oceans. Um, and it was damaged pretty significantly and started to sink. And Violet, uh, this time, wasn't quite as lucky as she was when she was on the Titanic. She didn't get a spot on one of those lifeboats, did she? No, no, not at all. We shall also, did, did, we, did we mention how long the boat was in action, the Britannic? Wasn't long. No, it was uh, less than an hour. It was, it was a hospital ship during World War I for uh, about 55 minutes, mm. uh, at least in this, in this uh, iteration. And you're right, Noel, uh, Violet did not get on a lifeboat. She jumped overboard. She almost got sucked into the propellers, which would spell certain death. They were sticking up out of the water. They were still running. She hit her head on the ship's keel, and she probably would have died. This was one of her most extreme shipwrecks. However, as luck would have it, passengers of a nearby lifeboat saw her body and were able to pull her in. Uh, we have her own words about this experience. Uh, she says, I leapt into the water but was sucked under the ship's keel, which struck my head. I escaped, but years later when I went to my doctor because of a lot of headaches, he discovered I had once sustained a fracture of the skull. And and she even kind of joked that the only reason she survived was because she had a very thick head of hair, um, which she characterized as having um, kind of helped soften the blow a bit. Uh, but she wouldn't know for years that she actually fractured her skull, hitting her head there. And there's a Mental Floss article about the unsinkable Violet Jessup um, that mentions something that she has said in an interview um, where when she um, abandoned the Titanic and she was so concerned about missing her toothbrush with this one, she really was a big stickler for oral hygiene, it would seem, because she grabbed her toothbrush on the rapidly sinking Britannic, um, I'm assuming clutching it in her fist. Yeah. Do you think do you think she made it? Do you think she do you think it like I like to think of her pirate style with it in between her teeth like yeah. a like a knife, but she probably grabbed it or put it in a pocket or Maybe. something on her yeah, person. That's that's a good point. But yeah, you know, you if you can say anything about Violet Jessup, it's that she got her priorities straight. And also imagine if you're a fervently religious person, a devoutly religious person, then this feels like proof of a higher power, right? It's the third shipwreck that you've survived. <laughs> the odds are against you. Right. And, and you know, we talked about at the top of the show this idea of her being really, really lucky. You could say that. You could also say that. She wasn't particularly lucky. She was in three shipwrecks. She did survive, but right. it's almost like, you know, bad luck kind of followed her, and she luckily was able to kind of dodge the the blow. Um, it's, but it's a glass half full, half it's, empty. It absolutely yeah. is. But this was finally um, reason enough for her to seek uh, alternate employment. Though, right? Yes, but still in the ship business. She left the White Star Line. She went to the Red Star Line. She did. Uh, she worked uh, as an attendant on cruises. For still seems to be years. tempting fate going to another star uh, related right. company. Right. I, I don't know. right. Well, I guess after your three shipwrecks, you decide you're going to change at least the color. Luckily, she was never involved in a shipwreck of um, catastrophic sort again. After World War II. 
She worked as a clerk for a while, but then she went back to working on Royal Mail ships for a while. And then when she retired at the age of 61, she spent her time gardening and raising chickens. Uh, We do know that she got married once in her late 30s. But all we know about the marriage is that she described it as brief and disastrous. She did a lot of interviews. She was interviewed for Woman magazine uh, when the film A Night to Remember was released in 1958. And her home was filled with mementos of her time at sea. Yeah, and you don't really think of – what's the word I'm looking for? Ship attendants? I don't want to use stewardess because we said that was a bad one on the top. But I guess at the time that was what they were called. You don't really think of stewardesses in these days uh, writing uh, very uh, noteworthy memoirs. But if you think about it, um, she had a complete insider's perspective on the Titanic and everything that took place. In fact, some people think that the character of Lucy in the John Cameron Titanic film was based on on Jessup. Um, she also had uh, just, I mean, you know, that being in that position on all of these different ships is pretty interesting from a historical perspective, just to talk about the way things happened, not to mention some pretty significant uh, maritime disasters. So she wrote a memoir um, very soon after retiring at the age of 63, and she wrote quite well by all accounts. Um, it was very articulate and was able to uh, really give a look at life at sea from that vantage point. And saw a lot of things that the average passenger or the captain wouldn't see because a cabin attendant moves through all the hierarchies of the ship and uh, is familiar with everything before the curtain and behind it. So we get a little bit of a, of a Downton Abbey vibe, you know, where they have the, the downstairs people and the upstairs people. And here our tale draws to a close. Is Violet Jessup the only person to survive multiple shipwrecks? Absolutely not. Is she one of the most well-known people to survive multiple shipwrecks? Absolutely. Uh, But this made us think off air about other strange, you know, close brushes with death. Like the people, uh, I think, Casey, you may have mentioned earlier, people getting struck by lightning multiple times. That happens. Yeah, there's been a few uh, well-known cases, I guess, of that happening. And no, contrary to what uh, certain films may have you believe, it does not give you superpowers. I'm also thinking, what would be the weirdest vehicle to wreck? Maybe a blimp nowadays? That'd be a weird one to wreck. Well, uh, yeah, but, I mean, we've got the Hindenburg. You know, that was a big, uh, that that's, was a, So it's been done. It's been done. <laughs> it's been we done. We need a new one. Um, uh, maybe a, a hot Segway? Air, yeah. I don't know. A, uh, I've already got the bird scooter thing on Yeah, lock. you've got that one. Hot yeah. air balloon, maybe? But I feel like those were sort of wreck anyway. Do you guys remember Balloon Boy? Who's Balloon Boy? <laughs> it was a fake story, but it was reported as real for a while that there's some kid yes! who, like, got into a hot air balloon and it took <laughs> off without his parents. And so they were like, we got to get the kid down. And, you know, there's like news cameras following this hot air balloon just floating around. And uh, turns out the family was in on it. The kid was hiding at home and uh, they just did it for like reality show publicity kind of stuff. Wow. Terrible parents. Uh, okay. Well, let let us know what, what vehicle we should try to uh, be involved in. I don't, that sounds weird when I say it that way. Oh, a chronoplons. You know about those? No. They're these weird half boat, half plane things. E-K-R-A-N-O plan. Look it up uh, when you have time, folks. It's it's very strange. I've always wanted to, to be in one. And if I were driving or piloting it, I would probably wreck it. 
But this concludes our story. Uh, we know that everybody has had these close brushes with uh, disaster, and uh, it can it can fundamentally alter your worldview. But how would you feel after shipwreck number one? How would you feel about shipwreck number two? Not great yeah, about not, either. Right, right. And I think uh, here in the studio, at least, the three of us are, are pretty unanimous that at least after shipwreck number two, we would give some serious consideration to staying on land. But, you know, three people, that's a small sample size. Give us your thoughts. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, we especially love to recommend our community page, Ridiculous Historians, on Facebook. Yeah, all you do is have to invoke one or both or uh, the three of our names, and, and you're in like Flynn, or just say oh, something. Make me laugh. Make, yeah, make, make any me of us laugh, laugh or just make a, make a silly reference to a topic on the show, uh, just to let us know that you're not a uh, Russian bot. You can also find us in our personal lives on uh, on the internet. I am at Ben Bullen on Instagram, and I'm at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter. You can find me exclusively on Instagram at How Now Noel Brown. Huge thanks to our super producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, research associate extraordinaire Gabe. Big big thanks, of course, to Christopher Hasiotis. Big thanks also to Eve's Jeffcoat and Jonathan Strickland, A.K. A.A. The Quister, who shall be returning soon. I do also want to say, as you know, the, the three of us travel quite frequently, and I'm, I'm a person who travels all the time. I want to say thank you so much to everyone who works in the travel industry, whether you are moving goods from one place to another for people, whether you are working as a flight or cabin attendant, which I could never do, uh, whether you are a pilot, so on. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I do want to say for everybody who is traveling as a passenger, whether on a plane, train, or a boat, uh, or an automobile, uh, Please, please just behave yourselves. People get crazy in planes. We should do something about that at some point. As an episode. Or as a society. Absolutely. Ben, have you ever seen the film Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I have, yeah. I recently watched it for the first time, and What'd I found think? it uh, heartwarming, funny, and, and just an all-around delight. Casey, how about you? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great monologue that we can't quote here. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's scene. one scene... That uh, makes it an R-rated movie. It is a a, a, <laughs> a, a very soft PG-13. Yeah. Prior otherwise. to this one scene yeah. where uh, uh, Steve Martin um, goes ham on a um, uh, rental car attendant, uh, and it's it's one of the best uses of the F word I have seen <laughs> in a film because it actually they yes, earn it. They earn it, and it's definitely for shock value because you don't get anything like that. But he has worked his way up to being this enraged, and it absolutely does feel earned. Also, Steve. Martin is an amazing banjo player. He one of the best. One of the best. It's a true story. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 